You read in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's getting late already. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only uh, here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was uh, 16 years old, my friends and parents threw me a surprise party at Waffle House. So, yes, it still seems a little bit strange to me, too. It was was not something I expected, which made it a really good surprise party. Um, In the middle of summer, you might expect to celebrate at the pool or a park or somewhere a little bit less breakfasty. Um, but I had no idea it was happening. Again, it made it a very good surprise. I thought, in fact, my friends had forgotten my birthday entirely. So when uh, a buddy asked if I wanted to get breakfast for dinner, um, I agreed kind of out of self-pity. The waffles could never disappoint me. They would always make, uh, fulfill me. I'd be happy with them. Uh, but when I walked into the restaurant, I was sincerely shocked to see my friends and there were presents. Besides being completely unexpected, I was also completely unprepared. I hadn't dressed up. I was wearing an old t-shirt because I thought I was just going to the Waffle House with my, (laughs) with my friend. Um, I I still remember, like, I still feel embarrassed when I was thinking about this, uh, writing this. Actually, I still felt embarrassed because I hadn't combed my hair. I hadn't even given it a thought. And I, like, thinking back in the memory, I was like, oh, I should have combed my hair. Um, but my lack of preparation, uh, just highlighted their kindness. The surprise actually focused their love. Um, the people who followed Jesus into the wilderness likely felt a similar sense of surprise paired with an even deeper understanding of God's grace. All of these people who had wandered uh, after Jesus into uh, a solitary place, into the wilderness, uh, had not expected to receive an invitation to a spontaneous feast. This celebration of God's goodness and mercy that reminded people of stories from the Old Testament and would eventually point forward to stories of the great feast that we have, uh, that we get to participate uh, in with Jesus in eternity. But the bread and the fish they ate revealed not just how deeply God loved them, but how he planned to change, how he planned to rewrite their entire existence. Aside from the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. 
This moment carries spiritual weight because it provides a glimpse behind the curtain at God's incoming kingdom. It provides a look at what God is really doing through Jesus. Remember, Jesus understood his own ministry as a fulfillment of Isaiah 61, which describes how God will restore this broken world and remake it according to his grace and love. His teachings and miracles, all of them, but especially this one, revolve around how citizens of this new kingdom will look and behave and contrast to the ways of the brokenness of this world. Jesus doesn't just repair what was broken long ago in the garden, but he makes his people and this world new. The old standards of the world ruled by sin and death and selfishness are replaced by restoration and healing and beauty and the new life of his kingdom that satisfies the human soul. The miracles of Jesus uh, reveal not just the blessings that we receive as followers of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus also tell us uh, they provide instructions on how to live as his disciples in a world darkened and distorted by sin. And every miracle that we find in Scripture, we find blueprints for the kingdom life that he calls each of us to live today, a new way to love and relate to one another. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, three aspects of this new life become pretty clear. And the first is this. We learn how compassion moves us beyond ourselves. If we look at the events leading up to this miracle, we realize the crowds aren't just following Jesus, but intruding on his expressed desire to be alone. The first half of this chapter describes the death of John the Baptist at the hands of King Herod. Uh, And now at a very different kind of feast, Herod promises a young dancing girl whatever she desires. Rather than asking for gold or land or favors for herself or family, this girl requests something instead much more sinister. She asks for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. Now, as a prophet, John had offended this girl's mother who pushed her daughter to gain the king's ear to exact revenge. And that is how John the Baptist dies. The cruelty uh, Herod shows to John shocks Jesus and the disciples who knew him both as a prophet but also as Jesus' cousin. This was someone that he loved personally. It was family. Moved by grief and recognizing the danger Herod posed, Jesus intentionally travels into the unsettled areas outside the town of Bethsaida, far away to be alone and to mourn and to grieve. The wilderness offered Jesus and the disciples an opportunity to hit pause and to grieve as well as to hide from Herod's people who had, by the way, expressed an interest in the location of Jesus too. Jesus wanted to be alone, maybe even for his own safety, but the people followed him anyway. Echoing the story of Israel's escape from Egypt, the crowds left the comfort of their homes to follow Jesus, their hope for healing and salvation into the wilderness. The arrival of the crowds was not convenient. 
Jesus wanted peace and quiet to mourn his cousin and friend, but they, the crowds, wanted to be healed. He wanted to be alone, but thousands flooded the empty country instead. If you've ever had children or grandchildren, you probably know how Jesus felt in this moment. All you want to do is sit and drink your coffee. But your children or, or grandchildren or someone you love are suddenly by your side with a hundred questions and unmet needs. They're hungry or bored or uh, tired or they want you to uh, moderate. They want you to be judge in some strange argument with their siblings. And only you, as their mom and dad, can fix it. There's really nobody else that they can turn to. Only you. But Jesus does not respond to the crowds with typical human irritation. Internally moved by their desperation, he responds instead with deep love, having compassion on them in healing their sick. Notice there are actually a lot of miracles that happen in this story, not just the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus begins by healing the people, healing their sick. But this initial response sets the stage for everything that happens next. And Jesus, we see that Jesus follows a similar self-emptying, self-denying pattern throughout his life. And he does this because of one constant underlying reality. No matter his own circumstance, Jesus wildly, deeply loves every one of his children. He sees the crowds not as an aggravation, but as people lost in the chaos of a broken world, searching for hope, desperate for new life, starving for meaning and a purpose. And in response, he welcomes and heals them. And then he provides them an unexpected, miraculous dinner. The same grace the hungry crowds experienced then is available to us today as well. In a relationship with our Savior, we receive the unexpected blessings and benefits of our God. We are united to him in ways that we can scarcely imagine. But the unexpected compassion of Jesus isn't just something we receive. It's also something we learn. Extending compassion to others and helping those in need is rarely convenient. Embodying the love Jesus shows to the crowds means going out of our way to help someone. Our typical response to a request for help isn't usually to jump in right away, but provide an often reasonable excuse that prevents us from doing what we know we should. We all have a thousand reasons that we can't help someone that we're too busy, we have other things planned, this is more, something is more important than that. But if we want to relieve the burden another person is carrying, we are called to set aside our own desires and plans, to rearrange our own schedule for the benefit of helping somebody else. Putting our own life on pause for the good of another is not easy. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. It often requires some amount of sacrifice and letting go 
of our own desires. When, you know, some relation says, can you come help me move the laundry machine and dryer or the refrigerator from one house to another across town, that's not convenient. When someone says, can you do this? We typically look at all the things we have to change just to help. But the grace that we receive from Jesus is designed to transform us, to help us embody the love of God we know firsthand in our own lives and in every relationship. At first, we love others. When we become a Christian, we love others because he commands us to, and we desire to be obedient. But as time goes on and his grace works in us, we realize we aren't just acting like Jesus might act, but have started to feel like Jesus feels, to look at other people the way Jesus looks at other people. Over time, the deep stirring the Lord felt for the crowd filters into our hearts, too. And when we look on the world with his eyes, his compassion moves our hearts to see the people as he saw them, lost, in need of help, looking for satisfaction, just like we once were. The compassion of Jesus teaches us how to move beyond ourselves, which frees us to love others like he loves us. Second, the love of God moves preemptively to save and renew our world. One of the things that always strikes me as funny is when Jesus has conversations with his disciples, because they're never what I expect, and they're certainly never what the disciples expected either. So notice that Jesus provides an answer to a question the disciples were not asking here. Okay, the the, the disciples did not come to Jesus and say, hey, we need to multiply some bread and fish and feed everybody. They come to Jesus toward the end of the day with a request, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Perhaps, you know, hoping to shield Jesus from the overwhelming requests of a crowd more than 5,000 strong. Or even give Jesus the peace and quiet that he originally wanted. The disciples Concern comes from a place of love for both their rabbi and the people. It's getting late. The people are still here. They're going to be hungry. We need to send them home because we can't provide them a meal. The disciples aren't thinking about miracles or asking Jesus to feed the crowds. In love, however, Jesus responds to their concerns with overwhelmingly spontaneous grace telling the disciples the crowd doesn't have to leave because they will give them something to eat. And like we probably would, they provide a legitimate excuse for why this can't be done, telling Jesus they only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And that's barely enough for their own group. It's really not enough for them and Jesus on their own. But Jesus takes what they've brought says a blessing that foreshadows the Lord's Supper and multiplies their resources into a feast that satisfies every person that followed him into the wilderness. Now, you've probably heard this in other sermons, but the feeding of the 5,000s is really an undercount, right? It says 
in the scripture, it was 5,000 men, and then there were women and children besides, and all of them were fed as well. So when we think of feeding of the 5,000, that's a very conservative estimate. The disciples did not ask Jesus to multiply the meal for all of those people, but he did so anyway. The preemptive love of Jesus moves forward forward without a formal request to satisfy the needs of the people. The spontaneous grace of Jesus here reflects not the mechanics of this world, but his kingdom. Our God is always and already moving to remake this world and reclaim his people. He comes to fill the empty and meet our deepest needs before we even ask. He comes to save people who <laughs> he comes to save people who didn't even know they needed to be saved. Isaiah 55 predicts that in God's kingdom all shall be satisfied. The hungry will be fed and the thirsty filled. Jesus hints at this spiritual satisfaction of God's children in uh, Matthew 5 and the beatitudes where those who hunger for thirst and thirst for righteousness find precisely what they've been seeking in Jesus. This miracle teaches our God isn't just ready to meet our needs, but has anticipated them before we recognize them ourselves. And this is important for us because we might sometimes come to the throne of grace worried that he will not respond with kindness that we carry too much sin or have done too much wrong, that we might perhaps be unredeemable, that maybe he isn't concerned about us, that we're forgotten. But our God is always ready to shower us with his mercy and overwhelm us with his grace. This miracle teaches that our God comes into our world to save us, to save you, so we might taste and experience the abundant life of his kingdom. Even better, the abundant life our God pours into us isn't just something we receive, but overflows, floods into the lives of others. We don't just anticipate the needs of other people, but become conduits of grace. When we enter a relationship with Jesus, God's grace showers over us, but also springs forth from within us. We might run to the rock for salvation, but the water of life is designed to flow through us into the lives of the people around us, into the wilderness of this broken world. And Jesus says in John seven thirty eight, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. His grace reforms us for a purpose. So we might not simply do the things that he desires, but be the kind of people that are ready to reflect his love to the world. We don't just wait to be asked to help others or make this world more like his kingdom. We wake up ready and eager to share his love and his grace with everyone we meet. Finally, the kingdom of God is built by and through regular people like us. 
When the disciples shared the concern about the people being hungry and having nowhere to go, Jesus commands that they should go ahead and feed them. Once Jesus multiplies the meal, the disciples are actually the ones who take the food to the crowds. The grace of God works through believers to meet the desperate cries of a broken world. Scholar N.T. Wright says it like this, This is how it works whenever someone is close enough to catch a glimpse, close enough to Jesus to catch a glimpse of what he's doing and how they might help. We blunder in with our ideas. We offer uncomprehending what little we have. And Jesus takes ideas, loaves and fishes, money, a sense of humor, time, energy, talents, love, artistic gifts, skill with words, quickness of eye or fingers, whatever it is we have to offer. He holds them before the Father with prayer and blessing. Then breaking them so they are ready to use, he gives them back to us to give them to those who need them. And now those things are both ours and not ours. They're both what we had in mind and not what we had in mind. Something greater and different, more powerful and mysterious, yet also our own. It is part of genuine Christian service at any level that we look on in amazement to see what God has done with the bits and pieces we dug out of our meager resources to offer to him. The promises and blessings of God aren't just gifts we receive and accept with gratitude. They are invitations to become more than we were and more than we can imagine. Jesus invites us, all of us, to a feast that we were not expecting so we might be filled by his blessings, satisfied by his love, and transformed into the children of his kingdom. The meal, again, itself recalls biblical meals of the past, of God's great provision, of Moses feeding the Israelites in the wilderness, of prophets giving food to those desperate for help. But it also anticipates the Last Supper, how we're joined to Christ. Joined to Jesus, and it also looks forward to the final celebration promised to believers in Revelation. Jesus transforms the wilderness into a vision of abundance, promising that everyone who believes will not only find blessings beyond their imagination, but become a blessing to the people of this broken world. As a nature of grace, we receive God's blessings, but we are also called to extend that same blessing to the world. That is the unexpected, beautiful feast to which God invites each of us. We taste his love so we might become his love and show that love to the world. Hallelujah. Amen.